Well, thank you, Ed. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning, those of you joining us online. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection Church. It's very exciting meeting outdoors, isn't it? If it isn't the heat, then it's the humidity. If it isn't the humidity, then it's the wind. It's always always something. We're learning as we go. Thank you for bearing with us. There is ice water here on the table if you are parched or otherwise. I'm going to probably have to keep two hands on the stand uh, for the sermon today. But we in our, are in our last week in the life of Abraham. Uh, we've been looking at the life of faith. What does it look like? What does Abraham show us? Because after all, in Romans chapter 5, it says, Abraham is the father of everyone who believes. So what do we see in his life that teaches us about our own life of faith? We see good things, we see bad things, ups, downs. And of course, at the same time, we're learning about the God that Abraham worships, and so do we. Uh, we are go- the scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 22. It may be a familiar story to you if you've hung around church for a little bit, but maybe not. That's fine either way. Uh, Hannah is going to come and read it for us. That's on the back middle panel of your bulletin, or of course, just scroll down if you're using the digital one. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so so they both went so they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called, up, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him, to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the stand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate, shall possess the gate of his enemies. And 
in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Thank you, Hannah. Well, have you ever wondered what your faith will look like uh, in 10, 20, or 30 years from now? Not that everyone here already believes, but if you do, what do you picture when you stare ahead through the tunnel of time? Perhaps you think that faith, well, it's a difficult journey now, but it's one that will become easier over time. Maybe you think that the trials and temptations of life will be better dealt with as your faith matures. Maybe the speed bumps of the present will be smoothed out by many years of belief. Maybe it is easier to trust God after years or decades. Well, that may be true, but it's not the case with Abraham. Now, whether or not it's easy for him to believe, we're not actually sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that he faces the most difficult test of faith uh, in his old age. After many, many decades of belief, at an age when nearly all of us will be dead, Abraham faces uh, his most difficult test. The testing and trials in his life, they don't diminish over time, but increase in proportion to his faith. And if you're into math, maybe you can, this will help, that, that testing does not increase or decrease proportionally with time, but they increase proportionally with the amount of faith one possesses. And the reason for that is because God is not trying to break us when he tests us, but the testing is like lifting a heavy weight. If you lift regularly, you can increase the amount. The lifting both tests your strength and increases it all at the same time. So too in the life of faith, no matter how mature or well-seasoned you are, no matter how old you are, there will always be challenges, always tests that push you. You never arrive at a finished state. Muscles, whether they're physical or spiritual, they need to be pushed. I was talking to an older pastor this week who's mostly retired, and he was telling me how he longs to grow in prayer, and he longs to understand and be moved by the, the, the reading of the scriptures. And when I was talking to him, I was kind of astonished, like, what are you talking about? Like, you've spent a lifetime studying and explaining the scriptures, and, and, but you're talking like a new believer, and he understands that he hasn't arrived. There's always more. The life of faith has new challenges around each corner. And here we see Abraham uh, facing his most difficult challenge, his greatest challenge, because it involves that which is most precious to him. And this too is part of the life of faith. <laughs> There's a large helicopter going over right now. Well, hopefully you'll be able to hear me. But this too is part of the life of faith, that we progress from very obvious needs and sins to much deeper, stronger desires that lie at the very heart of ourselves. So we're going to look at this story to see, the, see what uh, a, a profound picture of God this shows us. We're going to take our text in three parts. I can see that rearranging papers is going to be tricky this morning. Uh, take our text in three parts. First, the ordeal. Second, the obedience. And third, the resolution. Notice how the story begins after these things. That little statement there is doing a lot of work because there's been a lot of things if you recall, if you've been part of, uh, with us for any part of this series, you can remember that he's moved over vast swaths of territory Abraham has. He's been down to Egypt. He's struggled with childlessness, famine, military battles. He's bartered with God. He's seen God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And now finally, he has his long-promised son. And now after all of these things, God tests him. Importantly, to test does not mean that God's enticing him to do evil. Uh, actually, some older translates sometimes render that Hebrew word as tempt, but that, that's not correct. 
the sense of the word means to find out if something or someone is worthy. And you can think of it like a board placed across a stream or across a, a small gap. If you're testing that board, you gradually ease more and more of your weight onto it until you're sure it can hold you up. You want to see what strength the board has. You're not trying to make the board do evil. You just want to see its capacity. And additionally, when the scriptures regularly refer to God testing his people so as to strengthen their faith, the test is the means, like we said in the beginning, of making something stronger. Now notice, though, God isn't testing Isaac. The threat to Isaac isn't really the center of the story. Abraham's faith is the center of the story. But our guy Abraham, he's being forced to choose between the blessings of God and God himself. And God tells Abraham in verse 2, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. If you look at that fourfold description of Isaac, sorry, you'll see why I refer to this story as an ordeal for Abraham. Because he's taking his boy, the, the heir of all these promises, the, the child he's been promised for decades, the miracle baby born in his old age who put laughter into his mouth. There is no other child. Ishmael is gone. He, isn't, he wasn't the heir anyways. Isaac is the only one. <laughs> Take this boy that you love and make of him an offering. And as with a lot of Bible stories, when we kind of slow down, we feel the emotional weight of them. This is no moral lesson. This is not a mischief-making God. This is God asking of Abraham the most difficult thing. See, he's asking Abraham to sacrifice himself. Now, you're wondering, well, isn't Isaac the one facing the knife? Why do I say Abraham is sacrificing himself? Well, think about what the sacrifice of Isaac would mean to Abraham. First, it means sacrificing his own will. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to sacrifice Isaac. God's not asking him to do something he wants to do, like, you know, rescue Lot. Uh, if God asked you to move to Hawaii, you know, most of us, we're not terribly dismayed by that call. Like, it may be something you wanted to do anyways. But this sacrifice is entirely counter to Abraham's will. He doesn't want to do it. Secondly, it means sacrificing his wisdom. It's not just against his will, it's against his wisdom. This doesn't seem like a good idea. Seems like a pagan ritual, kind of like there was child sacrifice practiced in the ancient Near East around this time. But Isaac is the child of the promise. It's God's idea, God's gift. Why killing him? It seems dumb. It's counter to Abraham's wisdom. Third, it means sacrificing his future. I think as modern Westerners, most of us, we seek to maximize our own life, and compared to Abraham, we have this relatively shallow understanding of how much family means. But over and over, we've seen in, in Abraham's story that it meant everything. All the promises hinge on it. God's word hinge on, hinges on it. Abraham is being sent into the mountains to kill his future. And fourth, and maybe as a bit of a summary, it means sacrificing what has become most dear to him. In that fourfold description of Isaac, there's a hint this boy maybe has become too important to Abraham. Because God didn't tell Abraham, walk into Isaac's tent and just kill him or walk into Sarah's tent and kill her. Uh, what God wants is a sacrifice. And even though Abraham doesn't have the law, on some level, he probably understands that God is calling in the debt of sin. The, the family owes things, and Isaac will be sacrificed for the family. It's an offering to make things right with God. The reason this is such an ordeal for Abraham is because God wants from Abraham everything. God stacks all of Abraham's favorite things up on one side. And says, do you trust me more than these? Or to put it a different way, we might ask, what has Abraham been set waiting and sacrificing for all the way along? Was it for himself or was it for God? 
To whom or what did Abraham give, give his heart to? Did he love God for who God was or just what God could give him? With this test, God is asking him, do you trust me with your best? Will you put the knife to all that you love? This is why it's the greatest and final test. Abraham doesn't get to ride off into the sunset. He's instructed to give back what he's been given. Now, if you can, put yourself in Abraham's place this morning. Perhaps your own future, your own will, your own wisdom. Maybe these aren't the important, most important things in your life. Maybe there's something else. But if God were putting you to the test, what would be on the other side of this equation? And by the way, you don't have to be a Christian to do this mental exercise. You can, anyone can do this. What's over here? What's your favorite things? Is it family? That you've said to yourself, my life only has meaning if I have children or I have a spouse or if my parents are happy with me or some other, some other aspect of family life. For others of us, maybe it's control. We believe life only has meaning if we can get mastery over uh, some aspect of our lives or over our finances or over our family. For others of us, it may be something like image. Life is only worth living if, if I look a certain way or if I'm seen a certain way or if men or women pay me or pay you a certain kind of attention. The only thing it can't be is nothing. <laughs> Everyone has something. It's just a question of, of what it is. For Abraham, it's Isaac. But what's your Isaac? See, thousands of years later, Jesus will echo this very question. He'll tell his disciples, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for Jesus' sake, you'll find it. And he doesn't use the word for, he doesn't use this word bios, which means our physical life. He means like metaphysical life, existential life. Like where do you get meaning and purpose and deep fulfillment? If you want Jesus, that's what must be laid on the altar, have the knife put to its throat. And if you decide that in your heart of hearts that family or money or image or control or something else, if that's the most important thing, then you can't have Jesus. But that's the test. That's the ordeal. Now, it's rough, shocking even. Philosophers, philosophers, lay people, they've gotten mad about this story for thousands of years. But it is a demonstration of the stakes of life with God because God asks for your best. Now, the reason that Abraham becomes the father of all who believe is because of what happens next, and that takes us to part two, the obedience. Give me one second here. Look at verse three. So Abraham rose... He saddled the donkey, he took two young men to help, he took Isaac, took some firewood, and went. Now, have you ever wondered how he did it? How he got out of bed that morning? How did he saddle his donkey without collapsing? How did he gather up the firewood? Oh yeah, thanks. How did he look his wife in the eye before riding out that day? See, God's command might have been vaguely comprehensible, but was, it was still terrible. Still unthinkable. But he goes all the same. And the Bible actually offers us a couple of hints about, uh, from Abraham's sort of internal life about why he obeyed. And the first comes from verse 5, where Abraham tells the two young men to wait near the Mount Moriah. And he says kind of cryptically, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. The implication is Abraham intends to return with his son to the two young men. In Hebrews 11, which details some of the, kind of summarizes and details some of Abraham's story, um, the writer says that Abraham went in faith to sacrifice Isaac, knowing that even if Isaac died, God could raise him back up again. So perhaps that explains Isaac's, or Abraham's obedience, that he thought God would resurrect the child. 
Or maybe he didn't even know what was going to happen. <laughs> maybe he just believed in faith, not knowing what would come next. But he's holding in tension these two truths that appear to be contradictory. First, that God is merciful and gracious and would not command, him some, would not command something evil. But second, that Isaac was the child of the promise. He was the one who would be the heir to the covenant. How could God do both? <laughs> Maybe by raising Isaac, maybe there's some other means. But what I want you to understand is that this is not a pretend test and it's not pretend obedience. Abraham was prepared to go all the way. And the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard, he wrote a bunch about this story. He says, many people lose children to miscarriage, accident, illness. But Abraham was asked to take his son's life. And he went. And they go up the mountain. Abraham lays the wood on his son's back while he carries the fire and the knife. And in verse 7, Isaac says to his father, well, we have, you know, we have some of the things here, but we're missing the lamb for the offering. And Abraham tells Isaac that God will provide for himself the lamb. And Isaac trusts his father. And so they get to the place. And Abraham builds the altar. And he lays the wood and he binds his son. And Isaac submits to be bound. There's no struggle and then as the Jesus Storybook Bible says, everything was ready. Abraham took the knife. Tears were filling up his eyes and pain was filling up his heart. His hand was shaking, but he lifted the knife high into the air. And then stop. Then God intervenes, or the angel of the Lord intervenes. And in, t in verse 11, it says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy. Do anything to him. But listen to this. This is really the heart of the story. Now I know you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham has completed the test. He's obeyed to the end. He's come through because it, he fears God. Now to fear God, that doesn't exactly mean to be afraid of him. That doesn't convey the whole sense of the text here. To fear God means to treat him with a kind of awe, but as most valuable, most worthy. It's to fear the loss of fellowship with him more than anything else. But verse 11 tells us that what's on the line, on the top of that mountain was Abraham's very faith. To fear God means you can say, I love God more than all of the things over here. Obedience to him is the highest. And that's the ultimate admission of the life of faith. Where you can say with Abraham, no matter what comes, famine, childlessness, military conflict, others who fall away from the faith, family conflict, if God asks for what is nearest and dearest to me, I can give it. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to surrender all, trusting that God will provide what you need. And indeed, God does provide. Abraham lifts up his eyes. Behold him, behind him, there's a ram caught in the bushes. See, if this sacrifice was indeed about the family's sin, then Abraham couldn't walk away. God couldn't intervene and be like, you know what? It's all right. Don't worry about it. There still needed to be a sacrifice. Blood still had to be spilt. Sin still had to be paid for. But the ram will die so Isaac doesn't have to. And then Abraham names the place, as they often do in the Old Testament, and he calls it, the Lord will provide. In Hebrew, that's the name Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, for on the mount the Lord provided. Now here's a question. We've kind of wondered out loud together how Abraham did what he did. How did he get up? How did he take the, trip and, how to take the trip, walk up a mountain to sacrifice his son? But the same might easily be asked of any of us. 
What compels a person to take the test of faith, to trust God with their best, to hold nothing back? And perhaps this morning, if you're listening and you're a person who's investigating faith or investigating Jesus, maybe this is the question on your mind. Why would one give up what is most dearest to be in a relationship with God? Well, the answer is that the hills of Jerusalem are actually located in the land of Moriah where Abraham was sent. And there's this really interesting little verse, 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1. It says, Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, the places where sacrifices would be made. See, the ram was the first, but not the last animal to be sacrificed on the hill. That mount became the place where sins are dealt with, and the blood of animals spilt to pay the penalties. And we also know that it was in the land of Moriah, on one of the highest hills there, outside the city of Jerusalem, that Jesus Christ was sacrificed. See, this story is about Isaac, and it's about Abraham, but it's also about the greater Isaac, Jesus Christ. God concludes that Abraham loves him because he has not withheld his son, his only son whom he loves. And we, in 2021, we conclude that we know that God loves us because he has not withheld from us his son, his only son whom he loves. It's the same. The reason that, that you and I, that we can throw ourselves and our lives into the hands of God is because there's another Isaac. There's another Isaac who would lay wood upon his back and climb the hill, trusting himself into the hands of his father and lay himself upon the altar. And when the moment of death comes, there would be no command to stop. And the son will lose his life. And the lamb that Isaac knew was missing would die so that the sins of all, not just the sins of Abraham's family, the sins of all of us might be forgiven. We can fear God. We can love him most because he has shown us his love. Because Christ died, we were spared the knife. The lamb has been provided. The lesson is what Abraham says kind of prophetically. God will provide for himself the sacrifice. See, when you think of your life, when you consider the disappointments, the troubles, the dreams that have gone unfulfilled, it's likely that the ones that hurt the most have to do with something that's become too precious for you something you really haven't given up yet. When life by circumstance or God by his grace shows us something that we've held on to too tightly, we have two, we have two responses. On one hand, we can opt for bitterness. We can look at, say, a child or a friend who despises us and think, I've worked so hard, I've given so much to that relationship, and look at how, how he or she repays me. Or when financial health is taken away and we, we feel angry and we're beset with feelings of revenge or we feel at liberty to, to lie or cheat, to get back what we feel like is rightfully ours, we can opt for bitterness. But the second option, like Abraham, is to take a walk into the mountains. That we can say with our hearts, God, you are calling me to live without something I never thought I could live without. I never thought I'd be here. I never thought it would be like this, but I can obey because I've seen how much you love me. Because God has not withheld from us his son, his only son, whom he loves. Jesus Christ, and now we have the security, the confidence, the love, the grace to walk into our own set of mountains when we are tested, because on the mount the Lord provided. Now part three, the resolution. This will be quick. If you look at verse 15, the angel of the Lord calls a second time from heaven. He reiterates some familiar promises. The, the, the blessing of God is promised, the multiplication of offspring to the point of being innumerable, like stars, like sand. God promises the offspring of Abraham will possess the gates of their enemies, that they'll get the land of Canaan, that all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed because Abraham has obeyed. But Abraham receives post-test the assurance of God's blessing. 
Now this is basically the end of Abraham's story. In the next chapter, Sarah dies. Sorry, spoiler alert. Then Genesis basically shifts its focus to Isaac. Abraham makes a brief reappearance as they talk about his death, but this is basically the end. The end is Abraham being reassured of God's love and faithfulness to him. And by the way, that's what we who are Christians get as well. In Romans 8, 32, which I briefly quoted before, the Apostle Paul is discussing the sacrifice of Christ. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul argues if you couldn't follow that verse. If Christ has been given, if the greatest gift of all has been given, then of course we're assured of all of God's other promises. Everything else is relatively easy compared to that gift. And Paul says in, in Romans 8, you don't need to worry about troubles or hard times or people hating you or hunger or homelessness or poverty or even death because we are sure that nothing can get between God's love and you. All the promises of God are coming your way because we've seen Jesus Christ die and rise again. Friends, today we are closing off this series in the life of Abraham and I want to give you just one final thing to chew on, sort of a summary of the series. As a pastor and as a Christian, I've noticed the pandemic has been really hard on faith. Now, some of you, I think by God's grace, have emerged from it healthy and strong. But I think a lot of us, even myself included, we've had our faith damaged or, or, or wounded by all the different parts of COVID. And part of, partly the reason is because most of us have been deprived of all the normal ways that God nourishes us. Community has been weakened, lack of contact with other Christians, loss of friendship, you know, intermittent in-person services and events. We, we've had to battle, battle a number of different challenges. Now, this is not new. You know all of this. What I'm trying to do, though, is I want to locate us in the, in the life of faith to say faith is not only sort of upwards and to the right. If, we, if we've learned anything from Abraham, we don't just bounce from success to success. We don't get happily ever after. The storyline of faith, it's not smooth, but it's jagged. So maybe weirdly, one of the most encouraging things I can tell you this morning is that the persistent storyline of the Bible, and we've seen it in Abraham, it's life through death, triumph through weakness, strength through pain. That God takes what's beaten and worn out and where there's not much hope and not much life, and, and he blows his spirit into such places. So please hear me. This isn't the time to give up on faith or God. This is the time to you, for you to see all of the things you have trusted instead of God. Perhaps the pandemic just highlighted for you and for me that, that we loved some things too much. Security, comfort, being right, you know, whatever it is. I hope and I pray that out of this current context, current weakness, God will show his strength. Periods of sin, doubt, weakness, foolishness, tribulation. This is part of the life of faith. We aren't Christians because we're good. We're Christians because God has provided for himself a sacrifice. Let's pray together. God, we thank you. Thank you that you have provided. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that he has died on our behalf. Help us to receive that. Help us to believe that. Continue to nourish us in this life. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.